Did you know that 9 out of 10 people are willing to earn less money to do more meaningful work in their lives? Hey guys, today I have a special guest, Alex Patakos. Dr. Alex Patakos to be exact. He is the co-founder of Global Meaning Institute and the co-author of Prisoners of Our Thoughts with Viktor Frankl's principles of discovering meaning in your life and work. I'm excited to have Dr. Patakos on here to share his thoughts on how to find meaning in our lives. As the doctor of meaning, we're excited to have him, so let's get to work. You're listening to the Purpose Driven Person Podcast. This podcast is made for leaders unwilling to give up their desires to be purpose driven. Guys, I made this show for a compass for you to have more purpose in leadership through four concepts creation, communication, collaboration, and connection in both business and in life. My name is Matthew Leland Cox. I'm the founder of Never Give Up Youth Healing Center, Never Give Up Wellness Center, and Never Give Up Foundation. You can find me at MatthewLelandCox.com. Are you ready? Well, let's do this. Now, our topic today, I'm excited to have, as you heard the intro, Dr. Patakos, he's an author of The Prisoners of Our Thoughts and The Opa Way. We also call him Dr. Meaning. And it's exciting to have him because I've read this book and it's a great book. So if you have not heard of this book, you're going to hear about it today. So if you're driving in your car and you're listening, please listen carefully because this book can change your life, the concepts and principles in it. And uh, we're excited to have him. So I'm going to bring Dr. Patakos on because I want to get going because we have a lot to talk about. Uh, Dr. Patakos, are you with us? I am here. Thank you, Matthew. It's great to be with you. Oh, thank you so much for being on the show. We were excited that you uh, agreed to come on the show because we, we enjoy your book. Both of us have read it. And uh, we're big fans of the concepts. That's what really got me interested in the book. And as I got into it and the way you you wrote the book... It's just amazing how it's put out there. It was easy for me to read. And, uh, well, thank you for the kind comments. Yeah, and, it, and I love the stories you, you go along with in it. We're, we're going to talk about that more. But um, now, I love how they've coined you as the doctor of meaning. Where did that come from? Uh, well, the doctor meaning uh, nickname kind of came along through doing uh, public speaking and going to conferences and then obviously being also on programs like yours. Uh, because I was out there constantly advancing the meaning uh, notion. And so that kind of stuck with me when I started doing this when the book first came out. And it kind of stuck with me, and it's been with me ever since. And I love it. It's it's a great, because <laughs> if it goes along with the concepts, as we, we start talking more about the book and the show, I, I think they'll understand where the meaning comes from in one of Absolutely. your principles. And for, for our listeners, Dr. Um, Patakos and I, Help me if I uh, get that wrong, and and I want people to know that it has a now your last name comes from a Greek origin, is that right? Oh, yeah, it's a hundred percent Greek. You're absolutely right. Yep, and uh, and I think I pronounced it right, so I want to make sure I do it right there. And um, now tell our listeners a little bit more about your background and what got you involved in what you're doing right now. Yeah. Well, um, you know the background goes back a long ways because you read the book, so you know there's a chapter in there, and I'm going to encourage all listeners when they read the book, there'll be a chapter that they can uh, kind of get a summary of the of the, the path that I took uh, that really kind of brought me to where I am today, and everybody has their own path. I happen to refer to it as a labyrinth, uh, a labyrinth of life. It's a labyrinth of meaning. And of course, the labyrinth uh, is something that many people would be familiar with. They probably walk labyrinths in, in different uh, environments, but the one that I'm referring to specifically in the book happens to be the labyrinth that's in Greece on the island of Crete. And so my life uh, really kind of is, is in many respects, like everybody else's, is an opportunity to walk that labyrinth uh, and, and uncover and discover the deeper meaning of the different experiences that we have throughout all the stages of our life. And so that was kind of, a, you know, kind of an overall construct, I guess, a, a way to think about how this, uh, this journey that I've been on um, kind of evolved. And, you know, if I go back to the very early days, even back when I was uh, very, very young and in, in, in uh, grade school and in high school, I've always been passionate. Uh, I've always been uh, interested in the deeper meaning. I've always been the kind of person, uh, as many listeners, again, would attest to for themselves, 
asking why, you know, why and, and, and what if I did something else and what was the purpose of that and what's the meaning of my life and all these questions. And those kind of existential questions have kind of followed me as, as well along my, my entire uh, transformation and evolution. And as I became an adult and, and started doing things like teaching and consulting and writing, that's always been something that has been kind of, uh, you know, it's almost like a shadow for me. Mm-hmm. It's always kind of followed me throughout my life. I've always wanted to know, you know, what's the deeper meaning behind what we just experienced, what I just observed. Uh, and then uh, because of my connection, obviously, with Viktor Frankl, I became much more passionate about helping other people discover the deeper meaning in their life, including their work life. You know, and I, I want our listeners to know the deep um, and and how great that connection is with Viktor Frankl is that, yeah, uh, is is he the one that inspired you to take this route, or it, it, with along with what you just told us, was that part of yeah, the inspiration? No, I, I think that the you know, the inspiration comes probably from my Greek DNA. Okay. Um, in terms of the exploration process, the understanding. I mean, if you go back, I mean, Frankel, Dr. Frankel would say the same thing. You know, and I'll talk about this later when we get into the Opal Way. But if you go back to the ancient philosophers, particularly the ancient Greek philosophers, I mean, you have people. You know, like Socrates, who would say, "Know thyself," and you know, and, uh, and another famous quotation from him is, "The an un- unexamined life is not worth living." So, when you think about that, that's an existential challenge that we all have, and that goes back millennia. So, it, we're not just talking about Viktor Frankl's time period, although his particular methodology and his approach to psychotherapy and so forth became very, very prominent and, and, and very important in my life. But I think that the, the framework and the predisposition to doing this kind of work goes back a long, long time, and, and, and certainly before I uh, uh, you know, uh, encountered Viktor Frankl himself. And I think it is. I think sometimes we get involved in these types of, this type of area in, in our work. Is it, it's a calling almost when you say yeah. that it, it comes from a deep meaning, and, right. and it, it's that person. Because so, some people that we get involved in knowing what people are doing and why they do what they do, it's in a curiosity we want to make humanity better, in a That's sense. Right. And, I, and I love it because, I, and I love how in the book you talk about the labyrinth, and you talk about how we sometimes share our journey together on our path, and then we kind of go our ways. That's right. And, it, and, I, mean, it's, and I think at a, uh-huh. a key point, you know, again, it goes back to the ancient Greeks, but it's also something that Viktor Frankl talked about. And mm-hmm. There's actually a chapter in my book, one, the first chapter actually, that life doesn't just happen to us. And I think if you think about it in that way, I mean, really that whole concept is that life isn't happening to us. And a lot of people, you know, they'll, they'll have slogans and wear T-shirts that make them sound like they're a victim of life's circumstances. Yeah, I've, yeah. And, and what really is happening is that life is calling out to us. And it's up to us to listen what life is, is trying to say and then how are we going to respond. And, that, and that's really the challenge and that's really the opportunity that we all have. Now, um, Dr. Pacos, you, you talk about one thing in the book is basically you focus on, it seems like, helping people get out of their heads. And is that the hence of the title, kind of? Um, yeah, the, well, the title is based on a, you know, on a couple of reasons, a couple of different things. I mean, the title obviously is, you're absolutely right, that we have a tendency, and again, listeners can attest to this. They can, I'm sure that they can have experienced this. We've all either know people who are prisoners of their thoughts or we ourselves are, have been imprisoned by our thoughts. Or we hold others imprisoned in our thoughts and by our thoughts. Uh, so the idea is, is that, in that sense, getting out of that intermental prison or intermental concentration camp, as Viktor Frankl would say, uh, is certainly one part of it. The other reason for using the word prisoner is, in fact, also because obviously Viktor Frankl was a, was incarcerated for so long, and so really kind of playing a little bit on that in a in a in a, in a, in a inspirational way because he was really taking that imprisonment and he took it to a whole different level. So if we talk about getting people out of their heads in that sense of being escaping from the prison, that's one aspect of it. But the other aspect, which is very, very important, and I hope everybody can kind of write this down if you're listening to the program, is that I want to get people not only out of their heads, but I want to get people into their souls. Oh, I the like idea that. here is really to spiritualize the experience, that we all are human spirits. And, and, and that's really what was able to... Uh, enable someone like Frankel or other people who've gone through, you know, different types of experiences, challenges in their life. Some, you know, they could be, uh, you know, a soldier coming back from, uh, you know, a place like Afghanistan or Iraq, or somebody who's had a, a disease or an accident, something that was inescapable form of suffering, 
that we really didn't want to have happen in our life. And the ability to overcome those kinds of, uh, in some cases, very horrific circumstances requires us to get into our spiritual side, if you will. So it's not just getting out of our head. It's not just logical cognitive thinking that enables us to overcome and, and, and really rise above suffering and challenges in our life. It's also engaging our spirituality. And I like that because theorists, great theorists like uh, C.S. Lewis and other ones have taught us that, that it's so important to connect the spirit with the mind and exactly. have, have that experience and making sure we share those feelings. Because sometimes as human beings, I don't know if you've seen it, we avoid that experience. Oh, and, totally. And, I mean, and, that's, and it's interesting. One of the reasons mm-hmm. that I bonded and, and really resonated so closely with Bronco's work and, him, and he personally was the fact that we both had, and again, this is I'm, I'm, you get, the listeners are going to hear me constantly going back to Greek references, but the, the notion of logotherapy, which is the school of psychotherapy that Viktor Frankl founded, is based on a word that has Greek roots, and it's the word logos. And the logos, which is the root of logotherapy, also happens to be the root word of the word dialogue, uh, which is also part of logos. But logos means meaning. It also means reason. But if you go back to the ancient philosophers as far back as Heraclitus, you know, which goes back, you know, say 600 B.C., we're talking about the Logos really uh, first being referred to in a spiritual context. So Logos is really, you know, rel- you know it's, it's related to spirituality or soul, and it's even been referred to as the Word if you, in Christianity and, and most of the major traditions that have used the word Logos. So the idea behind that means that Victor Frankl wasn't just trying to create a system of psychotherapy that would help people uh, through a therapy that was focused on meaning, but he was also trying to spiritualize psychotherapy. So it wasn't just about reducing people to body parts and thoughts and so forth. He really wanted to respect and honor the human spirit. And I think it's from his experience when he was in the camps that he learned that the dehumanization of of what took place there is that he wanted to bring that back. Would would you you know being around him is that what you got from his work? Is oh absolutely. I mean yeah. I mean I, I remember. I mean just just. I mean you know as we as we all have heard many many mm-hmm. times that the eyes are the window to the, the windows of the soul, and that was one of the first things that I noticed. I mean you're you're looking at somebody who physically was not a very large person, but who spiritually was a giant. And, and he, you can see it in that. Now, Dr. Pecos, we're going to take a break real quick. And when we come from back from break, I want to talk a little about what inspired you to start writing the book Absolutely. and, and when great. you started that. Now, the, the commercial, as we go to break, listen to the commercial. We're gonna, it's going to be about Dr. Pecos' book and how you can get it, and we'll be right back. Do you ever wonder why some people seem to have an easier time dealing with complex and challenging situations than others? Why do some people seem more capable of dealing with change than others? Dr. Alex Patakos answers these questions and more in his book, Prisoners of Our Thoughts. Based on the work of Viktor Frankl, Prisoners of Our Thoughts teaches you how to bring deeper meaning and fulfillment to your everyday life and work and achieve your highest potential. Order Prisoners of Our Thoughts by Dr. Alex Patakos from Amazon.com or purchase it in the local bookstore today and learn how to improve the quality of people's lives, increase happiness and resiliency, foster engagement, and promote health and wellness. Prisoners of Our Thoughts by Dr. Alex Patakos is a must-read for everyone who wants a better life and wants to improve the lives of others. Get your copy today. You're listening to Dr. Patakos, and he's the author of Prisoners of Our Thoughts, and we're talking about his book and what he's done. Now, if, if you're listening and pay attention to the principles in this book as we talk about it and as we go along and, and we share more about it, because this can change your lives. And if you haven't heard about this book, definitely get a chance to go out and get it, just as the commercial mentioned. Now, Dr. Patakos, are you with us? I am. I'm still here. All right. How, did the, the, was the commercial okay? <laughs> Commercial was great. Awesome. Well, we want them to get but this it's book. It's greater when people start ordering the book. I know. We, I, they, I love the book. I have it. I mark it up, and there's great concepts in there I've used over and over. So, now going back to it, let's talk about the book. What got you inspired to start writing it? 
Well, I mean, as as I said earlier, um, before the commercial break, um, I've always had this passion mm-hmm. for the search for meaning. And when I first started to communicate with uh, Dr. Frankel initially through his, his some of his family members, um, that became kind of almost a uh, uh, it was a, almost a call to duty, if you will. And so, as you will note in the book, there's uh, in in the uh, preface and in the introduction, of course, I make uh, mention to uh, of a number of things, but particularly the key meeting that I had with Dr. Frankel at his home in Vienna, Austria, when he grabbed my arm and, and after I described to him what I was trying to do, and he said that you know, Alex, yours is the book that needs to be written. So that became you know almost instantaneously, it was almost like getting a, a tattoo on my soul. It was kind of like it was not going to be removed. I had to do this. So that was really the uh, the, init- the initial uh, uh, catalyst for actually you know saying I am going to make this book happen. And, but, you know, and the background goes back many many decades actually in terms of the passion for his work because I had read Man's Search for Meaning, his most famous uh, yeah. best known piece uh, when I was in high school. And that's such a great work. Now, what you know, meeting him and starting the book and on your journey, as we we want to call it, is that um, his approach and your approach to the the different how you view the world in psychology, how is it different than the other theories that we see out there? You explained what logotherapy meant, but what is it that you're seeing that helps that that's a lot different? Well, well, well probably the biggest thing, and and, and I'll, I'll try to kind of put up a couple of nuggets here that uh-huh. people can can uh, remember because I want to make sure the message sticks. Probably the most unique thing about this, number one, um, and is the fact that most of the psychotherapeutic approaches, psychiatric approaches, and so forth, prior to Dr. Frankel's really monumental pioneering work, really focused on exploring people's psyches in depth. And they actually refer to it as depth psychology, where you're going in and you're doing, you know, you're trying to find out what happened at, uh, when, when somebody was, say, uh, potty, being potty trained. Uh, in some cases, people go back to past life regression. I mean, there's very much of that deep, almost, you know, uh, analyzing people to the point where not only are we going back in time, but we're reducing people to the component parts of, of, uh, of who they are. And that's the reductionist view, you know, which we, we know that in, in other the sciences and math and so forth. What's, one of the things that's different about Frankel is that rather than looking at the depth psychology as his takeoff point, he saw his school of psychotherapy as really being height psychology. So rather than depth, it's looking at the, uh, you know, inspiring people to move from where they are today to a place where they would like to be in the future. And so that's one big paradigm shift. Uh, he's not in any way taking away from the fact that some people may need to go through some sort of in-depth analysis yeah. uh, of their past in order to, say, do things like, uh, you know, whether it's a process of recovery, it's a, it's a dealing of, of processing pain and anguish and so forth. But a large part of logotherapy is really looking at, okay, what's in the past has now been safely put in the past for the most part, and, and now we're going to look at where are we going from here. So that's one major shift. And, and I like that because it's shifting from let's not stay in the past and let's not remain victims, but let's move forward and right. choose to get out of that victim stage. And right. and I like, and I want to move over to the concepts in your book because I think you take all these things that Viktor Frankl was talking about and put them in your book to help people um, also bring it from the that book he had, The Man's Search for Meaning. But then I like how you put it into a real-world perspective because right. he comes from the what his experience in the concentration camps in that book. And, 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 and that's a very important point. It is. Let me, let me throw a couple mm-hmm. things out here really qu- quickly. You bet. Number one is that Victor Frankl did not write just one book. He wrote 32 books, mm-hmm. actually. There's some evidence that he had some manuscripts that would even make it more than that, but they weren't necessarily published. So 32 books, hundreds of articles. I mean, there have been so much done around his work through uh, master's theses and doctoral dissertations and, and research projects and so forth. The, the, the approach that I took was not just to look at man's search for meaning, because even before uh, I went to and, and got my publisher to agree to, to publish this book, um, I asked people you know, who had read man's search for meaning, I asked people actually, have you ever heard of Victor Frankl? Did you ever read man's search for meaning? If you did read man's search for meaning, what was it about? 
Did he, did he write anything else? I mean, it's amazing how little people little. knew, other than the fact he was a Jewish psychiatrist who survived Auschwitz, among, but he was also in other camps. And he had a positive attitude. And that was the extent to which most people knew his work. And so I looked at, at that and said, wait a minute, there's a whole body of knowledge, there's a whole wisdom, well of wisdom that needs to be kind of brought out to the surface so people can recognize his contributions, because he wasn't a major marketing machine. He didn't do what Sigmund Freud did or Carl Jung uh, at Maslow and so forth, where they really have followers that went out there and they just kind of, they were disciples that were really marketing, uh, his, uh, you know, the, their, uh, the founder's uh, philosophy. And so Frankel's work in terms of logotherapy, you know, was kind of almost hidden because he was much more modest in that regard. Yes. And so what I tried to do is take the 32 books and many of his articles and to try to say, okay, my interpretation, what would be the core principles that I would say? Again, this is just me. This is Alex. This is not, you know, I mean, nothing, there's seven principles in my book, but some people might say there's 100 principles. Some would say there's only three principles. My interpretation of what I was able to pull out of this was there was seven principles, and so I just want to make that clear that this is not you know. So some people when they read the book, you know, they'll say, well, geez, is this a rehash of Man's Search for Meaning? No, it's not. It's also an attempt to try to look at some of the things that are not so evident if you read just one of his books, but, and and try to put it into a practical context, like you said. But also on that note, I want to add in too, um, Dr. Pecos is that. Um, it also brings your your Greek culture in too in your book, which oh, is it, I, I, very evident. Yeah, and I, but I love how you tied it in, and because um, even though I've read a lot of Dr. Frankel's um, work, like you said, all of his articles, and a lot of people don't know he toured the country all over speaking, and mm-hmm. and if they YouTube him, there's tons of YouTube videos yep. of him speaking, uh, both right. both in German and also in English, and. Um, but what I like about what you've done, you put your own personal personality into taking that information, but also bringing your culture. And we're going to get a talk about the Oprah way, which Oprah way, which I'm excited because I think that's just how I look at it: is that life is have fun, and we got to take advantage of it and enjoy every moment of it. Right now, this and that's, prob- and that's probably when we get into the Oprah way, which mm-hmm. is really the next evolution of my meaning work. That's really where we're talking about never giving up. Oh, nice. That's the essence of it. I mean, is, is, but trying to do it in, a, in an entertaining as well as an educational way. One of the challenges, again, when, when Prisoners of Our Thoughts first came out in hardcover, it had a different cover. And the front cover actually looked like there were a couple of shadows that were on a bridge. And people came to me or they wrote me or called and they said, you know, are those people ready to commit suicide? And so at that point, I was going to say, wait a minute, when the book comes out in the next edition, we're going to have to change that cover to make it more inspirational and less looking like it's uh, depressing. Because the title itself, you know, Prisoners of Our Thoughts, and everybody can relate to that in some way, but we want to know that, no, really the book is about how do we escape that prison. It's not about, you know, taking our own lives or giving up. If anything, it's just the opposite. It's about never giving up and seeing that every moment, I mean, that's one of the key uh, elements of Frankel's work and my work is that every moment, every moment of our lives has within it a seed of meaning. There is no moment that we're, that we're alive that does not have meaning. And that's something that people, and I, want, I really want to make that point, even if we don't always know the purpose of our life, we don't always know what the aims, the objectives that we want to achieve, does not mean that our life has no meaning. Our life always has meaning. And and let's do this. Let's tease our listeners about the book. Let's give them the seven core concepts or principles that you have in the book, because that's what, when I first picked the book up, I seen those and it, it got me excited, because right. then I was like, I'm going to read this book. And you also had Stephen Covey that read it, or did the forward for you. So. That's right. And it, it, an, excellent, an excellent forward. I mean, you read the forward, so you yep. realize, I mean, this is not a forward that was done very, and taken very lightly. No. It, he actually I, read the book very carefully. And he wrote probably one of the best forwards that I've ever read. I was very impressed what he said in it, and and I I like all his material. So let's dive into these seven ones because we have a, we're right. going to go to break, and I want to spend a little time on the Opa way. Right. But the seven well, principles here. Okay, and and the seven, and even though Stephen Covey wrote the forward to Prisoners of Our Thoughts, uh-huh. the seven principles that I'm going to kind of outline right now should not be confused with Covey's seven habits. No, and it just happens at seven of seven. So yeah. But the first one is really the principle that Viktor Frankl is most well-known for, and that is the whole notion that we ultimately, all of us, have the freedom to 
choose our attitude. So even if we don't have control over a situation that we are facing, we always have control over how we want to respond to the situation, if by nothing else, by our choice of attitude. And that's it. Is that all right? I mean, yeah. Do you want me to elaborate on that? Yeah. Or is that okay? No, I think that's important because the attitude, like I, when I work with uh, kids or adults, it's that's where it all begins. I agree with you. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so that's the, fir- that's the first uh, principle, and it really is a major part of how we kind of move forward so that we don't become a prisoner of our thoughts. And so there are exercises, as you know, in the book. There's an entire chapter on each of these principles, but there are exercises on how one can exercise that freedom. How can we take that freedom? How can we use freedom of will to, if nothing else, shift our attitude so that we can you know, get ourselves to be not stuck in the mud and then figure out, oh, we're just a poor victim. No, we have to do something, and this first, uh, this first step that we need to take as a baby step even is the, is the freedom to exercise our uh, freedom to choose our attitude. The second principle is really more about core values, and the second principle is about how we can uh, uncover how we can realize, how we can actualize, how we can manifest what I refer to and Victor Frankl refers to as the will to meaning. And the will to meaning, the way I've you know, articulated it so that it becomes a little bit less academic sounding, is the authentic, the authentic. That I means it's got to be real, it's got to be there, you know, it's got to be transparent. The authentic commitment to meaningful values and meaningful goals. So we have to understand, we have to start sometimes do some value clarification. What are the core values, say, in our personal life, in our relationship life, in our work life, that really bring us alive, that really make what we do matter? That, you know, and those are the kinds of things that this chapter is about. And the same thing with our goals. If our values are in one place but our goals uh, you know, aren't clear, clear, we need to spend some time doing that as well. And then once we clarify that, that's what we call the will to, to meaning, then we have to then look at that and say, okay, if we're in a relationship, if we're in a job, uh, whatever situation we, be, you know, we find ourselves in, we have to look at is there alignment between those values and those goals and what we're doing in our life. If there's not, then we're going to have what's referred to as existential angst. There's going to be some, you know, uh, you know there's going to be incongruency between what we'd like to be doing, what we really feel our spirit is telling us to do, and what we're actually doing. And I, I like how you put that in the book where you talk about it and using the labyrinth and also just some of the experiences that you had throughout your life. That's right. And so it, it, it's really, and I think meaning is where a lot of us don't get to how do we figure out and attach meaning bad or good in the circumstance. And I think you did it in one situation where there was a wreck and you helped a lady right. and you went through that and helped her understand that even though this thing bad happened, Let's go over some things that are good. I'm okay, yeah. and so forth. Yeah, I mean, those things help us, you know, get ourselves unstuck so mm-hmm. that we can move forward. I mean, that's part of the reason for the first principle. It's not to, it's not to make light of the most negative, even catastrophic no. things that go on in our life, but it's basically saying, look, if we don't do something, and if all we want to do is call ourselves a victim, then what will happen is we will become immobilized, and they will never achieve you know, the kind of life that really we should have and that we, should, that we all deserve and we want to see other people have. So that's part of the goal here is to inspire and motivate people, but you can't do that if you've got such a bad attitude that you're basically saying, you know, it's not, my, it's not me, it's my, my spouse, it's my boss, it's my kids, it's whatever, it's the economy. I mean, we spend all the time bitching and moaning about our lives, and then we wonder as time goes by, all of a sudden we find ourselves very close to, say, the end of this life, wondering where did it all go. And, and that's unfortunate. Yes. So that's the second. You know, the, did you want me to go through all these? or? or? Let, let's take a break real quick, and we'll come back from the break. Okay. And, and I want to hit this. I don't want to give too much everybody because I want them to read the book. Yeah, I, I think I agree. So let's hold it off because I think the little bit they get that curiosity. But we're going to come back. We'll dive in a little bit more, and we're going to talk about the Oprah way. So we'll be right back. A few years ago, Dr. Patakos and his partner, Dr. Elaine Dowd, noticed that something was changing. People were losing enthusiasm and meaning in both their personal and work lives. Many felt they were rushing through life, just going through the motions. Their work lacked meaning, that the products and services they were offering lacked meaning, and that increasingly, they felt they weren't making a positive difference in the world around them. There just had to be an answer. There had to be a way to reconnect to a sense of meaning and passion in life and in work. 
Returning to the Greek culture and heritage, the OPA Way was created. The OPA Way teaches you how to live every day inspired, uplifted, excited, and life-affirmed. This is an awakening call to remain alert in your own life. Learn more about the OPA Way and join the growing OPA Village by visiting theopaway.com. That's www.theopaway.com. I'm here in the studio. I have Dr. Alex Patakos. He is the doctor of meaning, the author of Prisoners of Our Thoughts. And we've been talking about this book. And if you're listening in for the first time or you've been listening in for the last few shows, this is a book I recommend because it is a book you're going to get a lot out of. And it's going to help you if you're stuck in the mud like Dr. Patakos had talked about. If you're one of those people that are stuck in the mud and don't know where to move towards, this will help you get out of that mud and move forward. Now, Dr. Patakos, are you there? I'm there, okay. you know what, and, and Matthew, I'm really happy that you've now learned a little bit of Greek here. Because I know, I'm learning. Correctly. <laughs> Am I getting it? I, I catch myself. You in got the, it, you okay. got it. Well, awesome. Now, what if you have somebody, and I'm, I'm going to come back to these uh, right. l- last few principles, but what if you just have somebody that's stuck in the mud, and you're trying to apply these principles in your life, is it healthy to continue to try to get them out of the mud or is it better to like on the plane when they say put the oxygen mask on first then help the person next to you is is that well, kind of I mean, the I mean, it, I mean it all depends i mean okay. I, I hate to give you such a flippant type sounding answer but <laughs> no, I mean, i've had clients i've had patients when i was working in the mental health system um where you know sometimes you had to do an intervention and that was much more um, drastic because you've got people who potentially are either a danger to themselves or to others. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're not going to sit in there and start talking about the meaning of something when they're potentially uh, in a dangerous situation. Uh, so, that, so that's one, one particular situation that we've got to deal with. In other cases where things maybe not, are not in, in crisis mode, you could spend some time with somebody where they can actually do some, I call it existential digging, where they actually go into uh, a series of questions and really try to uncover and discover the deeper meaning of what's been going on again, in their personal life or their work life. And then in other situations, give you the third scenario, you know, you've got people who potentially are in a crisis situation, but the crisis situation is actually the wake-up call that gets them to really think about what they're doing with their life and what, they sh- what they'd like to be doing in the future. And, and many of the clients I've worked with over the years have come from, I mean, they've come from all of those categories, but certainly that third category where you know, somebody maybe had had a stroke or lost their job or something like that, and then all of a sudden, you know, prisoners of our thoughts and the work that I'm doing becomes very, very much important in their life. Yeah. Prior to that, they might have been uh, living their life on autopilot or cruise control. And just kind of in a numb state where they just exactly. uh, numbed out. And and I think that's where the concepts, and, and let's just run through these, because I want to get, I want to spend some of the time on the OPA way so right. they know how to get a part of that. And right. I think the next principle you talked about was detecting the meaning, as we talked about, having those moments in life. Right. And then don't right. work and, against and in your... The book, yeah, uh-huh. In the book, I refer to every moment. Every moment is, every moment. is, a, is a meaning has meaning potential, right? Yes. And the purpose of us understanding that third principle is learning how to become aware, learning how to become conscious of the meaning moments in our life. Now, obviously, we're not going to be, you know, detecting and trying to analyze every moment. But what I try to get people to do is try to at least think about what are some of the things that are either affecting you in in an incredibly positive or not so positive, even negative way, those are kind of meaning milestones, if you will, and spend some time really understanding what those meaning moments are. And if you can start to do that, and if you can keep track of them, and I have, you know, most of the people I've worked with over the years, I try to get them to keep a, a meaning journal where they can then look back on situations that maybe six months ago or two years ago, they responded in a certain way, and after understanding the deeper meaning behind that, they realize that they made a shift both a shift in consciousness and a shift in their behavior. And then that, and those kind of situations, when they propped up again, didn't necessarily have the same uh, impact. They were able to be more resilient or deal with them in a much more healthy, positive way. And then does that lead into the whole concept of just don't work against yourself after you find well, the meaning? An, that's another principle. All these principles are interrelated. Yeah, and that's kind of uh, what I'm seeing. people will start, like, Typically what will happen is, I mean, if I look over the years that I've been doing this work, I would say that principle number one and principle number four are probably the two principles that everybody 
says, I'm really having a struggle dealing with. That's exercising the freedom to choose my attitude. Everybody's saying, you know, how do I do that? You know, my, my attitude sucks. Or I had one person, as I write about in the book, who was a, a medical doctor who said, you know, well, I don't understand that first principle. I mean, uh, why would you want to change your attitude if you already have an attitude? <laughs> you know, so they didn't quite get the, the deeper meaning behind no. that principle. Principle number four, don't work against ourselves, is something that, you know, I think everybody, every listener can probably relate to, is the fact that many times we're, we are our own worst enemy. Yes. And so we end up doing one thing that we really want to do, uh, going step forward, and then we find ourselves going three steps backwards. Because, you know, we're, we're not letting go, we're not relaxing, we're trying to control the situation. You know, imagine uh, a case, again, most listeners, since we're talking about parenting, as one example that, that your foundation, your show is about, you know, I mean, how many listeners have teenagers, for example, and as parents, if you try to micromanage your teenagers, you're basically working against yourself. I mean, no matter how good and how honorable your parental guidance and intentions may be, Typically, you have to learn how to let go and give your teenagers uh, some space and some, uh, you know, some personal responsibility for dealing with the consequences of their actions. Yeah, they have to make the mistakes. That's part of living That's so right. they can find right. that meaning in life, like you mentioned yeah. up here. Yeah. And, uh, and then it goes into looking at yourself from a distance, which I think half the clients I work with, too, is that that's the hardest thing is stepping away from yourself and not not uh, um, judging yourself, but looking at it at a distance. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little yeah. about that. Yeah, well, I mean, this is like, I mean, again, in prisons of our thoughts, I kind of use an example of uh, pets, and particularly dogs, because I happen to be a dog lover and have dogs, dogs over my, uh, my entire life. And, you know, maybe some listeners might say, well, geez, you know, my dog smiles. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, the question that I would, or the challenge that I would bring up to them is, Yes, even if your dog, if you think your dog smiles, your dog probably doesn't smile at itself, nor does it think about its own meaning, you know, its, its meaning, you know, meaning of, it, of its own existence. And so the idea is that in, in human beings, one of the things that, that really distinguishes us from other living entities is that we do have the ability, we have that innate capacity to actually visualize and see ourselves making a mistake or doing something right or whatever. And so we have the ability to suspend ourselves and look at ourselves from a distance. We can actually hold ourselves up and and think about, well, if I did this, what would it look like? Mm -hmm. And so that's a powerful, powerful tool and, and capacity that we all have, but sometimes we don't use it well enough. We don't think about how we can maybe distinguish, you know, what we're doing from, you know, ourselves. And, and by, as you said, I mean, sometimes it's important to, to look at yourself from a distance just to say, ah, I made a mistake, you know, big deal, you know, and it's like moving, in order to move on. It doesn't mean that you want to make mistakes, but it's like if you get so wrapped up in your behavior and in what you're doing where you can't distinguish and you can't separate that, then that's going to be much more difficult to learn and, and, and grow from that experience. But if you can separate yourself and look at what you did, you know, and, and many of us have seen it. I mean, if you've ever given a presentation, you know, oh, you can yeah. imagine yourself, you know, either prior to the presentation or afterwards, visualizing yourself uh, almost like you had an out-of-body experience and looking at yourself going through the experience. And those are really great opportunities to learn and grow from that type of process. Yep, it, and it's fun to step back because using that analogy of presentation, it, you, you know, we are our worst critics. Exactly. But also if we step back and use it as a way to move forward instead of moving backwards, exactly. it can be good. Absolutely. And I like the next one is that the shifting our attention, and then we'll go into the last one and get into the OPA because I'm excited about the OPA. Yeah. Um, the OPA way is what you call it. Right. And it's an exciting thing. I've been on it, and I'm, I've, uh, and I've went through it, and it's, it's going to be exciting to introduce that. Right. Now, shifting your focus and and um and attention, and that's hard for say somebody like myself. You know, I I suffer with a or not suffer. I get to have fun with ADHD because I right. think it's a fun thing. Uh, it's it's my creativity, but it also. I have a tendency to see a lot of things and do a lot of things. So I have to step back, see where I'm at, see me from a distance. And then sometimes I'm in, in the wrong focus and I have to shift that. Now, what do you, how, I like how you explain it in the book. Yes. Well, I mean, the big, the big thing about this particular uh, approach, this particular principle is that oftentimes, and this is really kind of the primary reason for why this is in the book. Oftentimes what happens is we become so fixated on a particular 
set of circumstances or a situation. It could be a dilemma. It could be something at work. It could be something that happened to us at home. And we become so focused on that particular situation, particularly if it's, say, something that's not positive. I mean, like we had a bad experience in school as a kid, and you're in the classroom, and you're all you're thinking about, or you're a teacher, and you had a bad relationship, you know, a bad uh, encounter with the students. Well, if you focus just on that particular encounter or that particular situation, it could actually ruin your entire day. It could ruin the relationships you have with other students, as one, if, if we use this as an example. So part of what you need to do as a teacher before you burn out, for example, because of that situation, is you learn how to shift your focus of attention to all the good things. Remember the good relationships you have with students. Remember the impact you're having because one student who graduated from your school came back and told you that you changed his or her life. I mean, the idea is, is that you've got to start preferably shifting your focus of attention from something that's negative and something that inhibits you from growing and, and moving forward to something that's more positive, something that's healthier. Yeah, and, and that's so important is that what is the payoff? Is it healthy or not? And and I like how you went into the last one where you used the, the analogy of the, the the labyrinth, but it's also excusing your, beyond yourself, looking beyond yourself and not in the moment is sometimes we get so based in our little world. And that's what I got from that last principle. Yeah, well, the last one is, is really kind of the notion of self-transcendence. Mm-hmm. And that's really principle number seven is the most spiritually grounded of all of them. And that's the whole idea that it's not about us. You know, it's about no. extending beyond ourselves. It's about focusing. And, and this is where the example, for example, there's a lot of interest nowadays on the, on the whole notion of positive psychology. And, and there's a, almost an obsession with pursuing happiness. And what Viktor Frankl would say and what I say is that happiness is not something that you pursue. Happiness is something that ensues from doing something else for a cause greater than yourself, for helping someone out uh, that uh, perhaps you know, is, is not you. And most of the really authentic moments of happiness happen almost as a surprise. It's not something we plan for. It's something that happens as a result of doing something for someone else or trying to achieve some cause that's greater than yourself. And I think that goes back to the concept that we all are spiritual beings having a, an, an experience, a human experience. Right. And, and it is that when you tie it into that and there is that meaning and when we do have that connection of, wow, I just helped that person and I went beyond myself and put myself aside. Because if you get driven, for instance, and I'm not, you know, by all means, people are driven by different things. But if my whole dri- drive is money and I focus on that money and my happiness is going to be just for a short-lived time because right. the means to the end is that that money is, is not my payoff. It doesn't have any meaning behind it or no emotion. I don't know if that's a good analogy. Yeah. But, um, well, but that's part of it. There's also the example you might remember. There's an example about a healthy eye Oh, I remember. And, yep. and, a, and the eye that's not healthy. I mean, mm-hmm. a healthy eye, I'm talking now about the eyeball that's in our heads, a healthy eye really does not notice itself, Right. We only notice our eyes if there's something wrong with it, if all of a sudden they were coming down with, say, glaucoma or something like that. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing is, and this is something that came you know, from Frankel's work, is that self-transcendence is, is similar to that in terms of its, you know, the concept, is that the, healthy, the most healthy human being isn't obsessed with him or herself. Yeah, and I like that analogy. Rim. No, and that's a good analogy because it, it is. It's it's all about what is healthy to you or to the other person. You know, and you will gain health mm-hmm. because it's almost like. I mean, again, it's a, another fancy uh, notion that's tossed out a lot over the last number of years is the law of attraction. You know, it's kind of like what goes around comes around. And when you're putting out the kind of energy and the kind of uh, of uh, efforts that are actually doing good and trying to that truly matter and are trying to make a positive difference in the world around you. It's amazing the type of rewards that you get that you weren't even anticipating. Now, Doctor, um, yeah. uh, here's the thing: is that what I'm looking at, Alex? Is that I want to look at this OPA way because I think right. it ties in just what we went over. Because I, right. I want to leave it out there. I'm going to keep keep the curiosity here. If you're listening, right. you want this book, go to um, Doctor Pecos or Patakos. I'm going to get it. Um, his his website and how do they get a hold of the book? 
Well, I mean, I would suggest either going to your local bookstore and ordering okay. it if it's not uh, there, or certainly going to one of the online booksellers like Amazon.com. Amazon.com, I'd really encourage everybody to go there and, and uh, do that as well, because uh, that would give me a metric to determine whether or not uh, anybody truly was listening to me today. Good. Go to Amazon.com. Order his book, because you will not fail. This is a good piece of material to have as a reference and to read through. Um, I use it constantly along with all the other concepts we've been talking about because it's a great tool. Now, let's go to your heritage because I love the whole thing you put on. the. You, you've created a, 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 a community, if to say. It's called the OPA Way, correct? Right. And tell us a yeah, little about that. Yeah, well, the OPA Way is a new lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that, again, kind of extends what we've just been talking about in terms of this whole notion about this human quest for meaning and trying to move it away from more of a, you know, less of a psychotherapeutic type of an approach, okay, which mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. Prisons of Our Thoughts is very much of a practical, almost a manual. It's a guidebook, so it's really positive. It's not something that's heavy. But, uh, but trying to go even lighter by moving into the direction where it's not only tapping into the heritage, the Greek heritage, but it's also tapping into something that's both educational and entertaining at the same time. And so the word OPA, Everybody's probably heard, you know, if you go to a Greek nope, restaurant uh, nope. or, you know, and you hear somebody breaking plates or dancing or whatever, the, the word hoppa is very inspirational. It's very uplifting. Uh, it's the kind of word that resonates, and it's very easy to say regardless of what kind of background or what culture or whatever you come from because wherever you may be in the world, everybody can say that word. Uh, it's very simple. And what we've done is we've basically taken the heritage of the Greeks that go back all the way to the ancient Minoan culture on the island of Crete. And by the way, Victor Frankl and his family were also big lovers of Greece and Crete and visited often. Uh, But taking uh, this whole notion of the ancient philosophers all the way to the present day where we go into the traditional villages. So I'm not talking about the economic crisis. I'm not talking about all the people that are, you know, right now some of the negative media and press that's out there because... Don't, don't uh, always believe everything you hear or read. But the idea is about really what are the core values that comprise that both ancient philosophy to the present day of the, tr- of the of traditional village life. And what we've done is we've used the word opa as a way to express and motivate people and inspire people. And we've also, if you, if you join the online OPA village, and we're also, which you go to www.theopaway.com, but we're also taking the word opa and we've taken the word and created an acronym. And the acronym is really three components. So instead of the seven principles that are in prisoners of our thoughts, we're now talking about three very simple uh, terms here, or three concepts. Uh, the elements are O standing for others. Uh-huh. So really the whole notion behind others in the Greek culture is to connect meaningfully with others. So again, there's that word meaning. It's not just close encounters of the worst kind. It's not just you know, saying, you know, how you doing to somebody down the street, and you really don't care. You're not really connecting. So, and when we think about, you know, things like social networking and so forth, I'm very concerned about people being unable to connect in meaningful ways with others because they're basically just doing nothing more than text messaging, and every, the world becomes very digitized. So connecting meaningfully with others is the others. That's the O and OPA. Engaging with deeper purpose. Again, now we're starting to get back into the meaning again. You can see this. That's the P, purpose. That's the, so we got others, purpose, and then A is, stands for embrace life with attitude. The A is attitude. So you've got others, purpose, attitude. You can get more information on the website about that. We're starting to do seminars and speeches, and we're working on a new book that really outlines and really kind of lays out under each of those three major elements what are the things that go back to Heraclitus and Socrates and Plato all the way to the present day, in each of those categories that are really most relevant that people can take and apply in their everyday life. And I like that because it is all about others and purpose and, and attitude. Because if you they got don't, it. you can already say, yeah. "Opa." Yeah, Every Opa. Time, you, know, you get frustrated, <laughs> and you know, and it's and it's it's intended to be fun. I mean, yeah. everybody's been, you know, probably every listener is, is probably seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yes, very Most popular. Listeners have probably you know seen the movie Zorba the Greek. So in some respects, if you think about uh, Zorba the Greek in that movie, at the end of the movie, almost everything that went on in terms of their business it was a, it was a major business venture that collapsed literally. Uh, and then you know basically you know Zorba and, and his, his colleague you know are dancing in that last scene in that movie. They're dancing on the beach, and it doesn't mean that they're poking fun. 
necessarily at the fact that their business collapsed. It's about, again, escaping the prison of their thoughts so they can move on, so they can see, okay, how are we going to learn from this situation? How are we going to grow from it so that we can move forward and maybe do something that's even more exciting, that's more fulfilling, that's, that also has meaning? And, and so really what the Oprah way is, it's like the Tao, you know, would be from an Eastern philosophical perspective. The Tao, of course, means way. I'm really, really more interested in embracing what many people have almost ignored is the fact that there's a way, there's a Tao that really comes from Western philosophy and Western way of life, which uh, began because I have a big Greek heritage. Of course, to me, it all began in Greece. So, uh, so I'm trying to get people, because many of us use terms, we use words, we use expressions that are really have Greek roots and Greek deep meaning. We don't even understand. I mean, it's amazing how <laughs> people don't understand the fact that Pandora's box yeah. comes from the Greek. And Achilles' heel. I mean, you think about all the things that we do and say in our language, our medicine, our art, our culture is so uh, influenced by the Greek culture, and yet it's almost never been encapsulated and put in a, in a, into a context so that people can really see it as a complementary and alternative pathway to personal growth and spiritual enlightenment. Now, we have about a minute left, Dr. Patakos. In, Notice in, why I was talking very quickly there. No, you're, you're fine. What is some advice you want to give to our listeners, and how do they get involved and register for OPA? Well, I mean, go to the website and join the OPA Village because it's, it's a new concept. We're going to be expanding that, uh, and there will be more opportunities. You know, of course, you'll keep in touch in terms of when the book is published eventually. There'll be, there's, there are videos, audio podcasts. There will be a lot of lessons. You ought to join the village to get to number of the pages because uh, some of the stuff is, is ob- everything is free, but some of the stuff is, is uh, behind the scenes, so to speak. And so by registering, it, it makes sure that we're not getting uh, spammed and so forth. But we're also, uh, you'll be able to keep up to date when we do offer uh, retreats, uh, not only to places where I am. I'm in Santa Fe, New Mexico here, but we're also going to be offering OPA retreats, odysseys, if you will, in Greece. Oh, nice. uh, so you'll get a tour guide. We'll actually go through the Oprah principles and walk in the steps of uh, Socrates and Plato and so forth. And then uh, you know there'll be workshops around the country, and there'll be speak, public speaking. And then we uh, we're going to be doing a lot of other things in terms of products and, that are going to be built around and supporting the message that we're going to be uh, that we're writing about right now in the book. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, and well, um, I'm excited. I hope we can we can have you come back. And, would love to do it. Oh, wonderful. And, and, then we'll, and we'll have an update on what's going on. Yes, I, w- wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. Patakos, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, guys, thank you for listening to the Purpose Driven Person podcast. Something I said today resonated with you. Head over to my website. I would love to give you a free gift to download, but you can also email me at purpose-driven-person at gmail.com. And don't forget to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And remember, guys, always continue to push your dreams and never give up. I'll see you next time. Take care.